This podcast is a Bendy Geddig Media production. Hello and welcome to episode one of Play It By Ear podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm going to leave this really brief. I just wanted to do a very, very quick intro. Um, on the first episode, I sat down and spoke to Imran Nathu, the former quarter finalist of MasterChef and just all round lovely man. We talked about uh, his background, where his love of food began, where that passion started, uh, what led him to sign up for MasterChef, um, his journey throughout the competition, how being on that competition put, you know, sort of changed his life going forward, what impact it had, uh, you know, so on and so forth. I had a a great time with Imran. He is a wonderful and lovely man. And I was, I'm very grateful that he came on. Um, I couldn't think of a better first guest. I'll leave this one brief. I just wanted to say, please go follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at P-I-T-B-E-Pod. That's at P-I-T-B-E-Pod. And on Instagram, it's playitbyearpod. So yeah, don't forget to go follow us on on social media. Um, on there, you will see links to this very, this very podcast. If you could retweet, share, like, do all of that, it would be. I'd be very very grateful. Um, also, thank you very much to Bendy Geddig Media, our producers, for helping us get this podcast out to you today. Um, but without any further ado. Imran Nathu. Right, well, it's a beautiful day. It's Hi. a beautiful day. Imran, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good thank morning. You for, thank you for joining me I mean, on Play It By Ear. Thank you. And what a wonderful setting. You can't see this because you're all listening to this, but we're sat currently down Penarth Beach looking at the sun over the sea on a blissful Saturday morning. It's absolutely stunning. I mean, there's a, there's a hint, there's a hint of California about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a hint of Orange County about this. You know, apart from the guy smoking a fag, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the people running and got people who've been swimming in the sea, got boats out into the distance. Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. It's, it's a perfect, it's a perfect place to record. It's, yeah. it's something that it, the, the, the weather's starting to turn now as well. You're noticing yeah. that nip in the air that's been there for a while is now dissipating yeah. slightly. It's proper lovely and warm now. Um, yeah, I've been here since sunrise. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but to be fair, it's, it's one of my favourite, favourite places uh, in, in South, you know, East Wales. It is Penarth Beach. It's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's, it is like a little slice of heaven when you come down here. Early doors, especially the current sunsets yeah. with the pinks and the peaches and very peaceful. And if the tide is out, you can go for a lovely long walk. And I just find it very, I don't know, it's just very peaceful. And during lockdown especially, if you go to the right of the pier and continue walking, there was hardly anyone no, there. You had the whole beach to yourself. So... No, it was the it's, it's the nice thing with Panath living here yeah. as well. I noticed that because the beach is a stony beach, yeah, we don't you don't tend to get people coming in from outside that as much as you would do, say if you lived you know say Ogmore or even Barry. Barry yeah. is the sandy beach. Yeah, it was inundated. Whereas Panath, we sat here and it's just like, well, no, it's fine. We'll have a cup of coffee and sit on a bench, and it's it's beautiful. It, it is, and it, like I said, it was a bit of a haven when we were allowed to travel a bit more during uh, during the lockdowns. Uh, this was the haven for me and my boys, you know, uh, me and my young sons, that we would come here and there wouldn't be many people about. No. And it was just it was just that nice bit of like um, open space, a different four walls because yeah. we were so you know, last year was such a bonkers time of being in quite a lot and like you said now with the change of weather it's nice to get back out again yeah. and um, and as lockdown is easing 
on this third or fourth time. I could have lost count. Yeah, lost count now. Um, well, here's a guy with a fag again. He's back. He's back. You he heard what I said. He <laughs> <laughs> heard what I said. He's going to come up and now he's be like, you edit that out. You <laughs> 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 have my permission <laughs> to reference you me. You spoken to my agent. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's it's what one of my favourite places. So uh, so just is is lucky that you you agreed to meet me down here. It's it's lovely. It's when you suggested it, I thought, yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly the feel. That's exactly the feel. Down a beach. Um, so yeah, the, the, thank you very much for coming on. You were one of the you were you were the, literally one of the first few names that I wrote down on my right. Who would I want on this podcast? Because I followed you on Twitter for a while, and. It's like, well, 100% definitely. You were literally one of the first names. Because I just... The aim of this is to just speak to interesting people about anything and everything. And I thought, right, a dentist who was on MasterChef. <laughs> and what's not to love? <laughs> I mean, firstly, thank you very much, Luke. I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, I'm just very thankful to be chatting to another human, <laughs> another grown-up, <laughs> you because know, currently it's been home and work and home and work and yeah. not very much uh, else going on. Um, so, yeah, we, we, when you, you suggested this, and obviously I think, you know, Twitter is a funny old place. I, I love it. I think, I think it's great. Uh, I think... I think it's it's what you make it. So if you want to delve into the the darker side of it, yeah. you, you might get some shit. Yeah. But really, the people I follow and things I'm interested in, it's actually all, all fairly okay. You, yeah. You, no, you I know? don't. I don't get. There's not much aggro on my timeline no, in any way. No. I just know. follow people that I I like. Yeah. And exactly. who are funny and just. You know, yeah. I, I would prefer to spend an hour on Twitter looking at pictures of capybaras than I would <laughs> getting into arguments. You know? <laughs> no, it, it, exactly, and obviously, you know, um, you know the work you do with ATR, mm. um, and I've always been interested in podcasts myself. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I dipped my toe last year uh, into doing some podcasts myself, and I think they're just. They're just great. It's just like listening to mates talking. Yeah, that's which is lovely. It's know? a live, it's a, it's very free. It's a very free form of media. Yeah. In that you can it, it is essentially people overthink it. It's my experience in it when when I say that I you know host podcasts and I run a podcast production company. Yeah. They they overthink it. They're like, oh, how do you do that? It's like, well, I I literally I talk to people. Yeah. Like, you do it on a daily basis. I just happen to every now and again record them. You know? <laughs> See, that, that, was my, that was my issue, and I think that's been my issue with... Uh, this guy looks like Alan Titchmarsh, don't you think? This guy walking past now. Marvellous. Yeah, to the point where I actually thought that was Alan <laughs> I know, right? Sorry. I uh, wish he was. He could help me with my garden. So I, I play this great pub... <laughs> uh, just to go... Oh, oh, um, just left field slightly. I play this great pub game. Yeah. called Poor Man's. Okay. And it, <laughs> you're just in the beer garden or whatever, and you go, oh, that's like a Poor Man's Alan Titchman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Poor Man's uh, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> you know, it's a great... If you're into people watching like I am, and I absolutely love it, uh, I absolutely love people watching, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I often go, hang on, that guy looks a little bit like... <laughs> See, this, I, I, the problem with... With games like that, with me, is that I always then would get. I'm, I'd be worried that someone would say, "Oh, he's a poor man's Alan Carr." Or a man. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my main concern. Or I, I like to think that someone would be like, "Oh, look, there's a poor man's Tom Hardy." I'll take that. But no, it's going to be Jack Osborne. <laughs> this is it. Is it's going to be Alan Carr and Jack Osborne? I know it. I know exactly who it will be. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, just just nice to chat uh, a little bit, uh, and um, and yeah. So l l let's see where we go with this. Yeah, let's see. Let's amble through. Let's talk. Let's start with let's start with then your background. I think okay. that's the best place to start. In so with your let's, let's talk food then. Let's start with the background of food. In that, okay. where did your have you always had that love? of food from an early age or was it were you a late bloomer as it were yeah i think 
I think the food thing came late on. Mm. Um, uh, food is it? Was it? You know, integral part of, of my family, home family life when I was growing up. Um, every, you know, not everything, but you know, a lot of things centered around food yeah. and gatherings and things like that. And um, and mum's a great cook. Uh, my grands were great cooks. Um, and it never really the interest in cooking really didn't take me until I went to university mm. and I had to cook. Yeah. And then again, it was shit. Yeah. You know, I was cooking really, really rubbish stuff. I was reliant very much on anything I could cook in an oven. So, yeah. you know, um, just oven chips <laughs> and chicken Kievs. Just beige just, food for oh, days. Oh, <laughs> just basic, basic stuff. Not a spice in sight. Yeah. I mean, I, I stayed, um, I went to Cardiff University mm. and I stayed in, there's a catered hall, university mm. hall. Um, so big up to all the university hall people who are listening yeah. <laughs> uh, people know the struggle if they lived in university hall because you come to Cardiff University and then like um, oh yeah you're in university hall I'm like okay and you go there and you're like where the fuck is this <laughs> yeah. I'm nowhere near the union <laughs> oh. but luckily they put on buses to take us to the union and, and um, it's so dispersed isn't it Cardiff Uni it's, it's just... that was, it was we did really feel in the sticks but the best thing about University Hall is because we did feel and we were only in Penland I know that now you yeah. know um, or King Coyd, Um I know that now um, but back then when you didn't know Cardiff you felt no. quite detached yeah. but because you felt detached um, there was a lovely community mm. everyone got together there was nice grounds and we had a wicked social bar there as well so that really helped but my parents wanted to put me into catering uh, catered um, halls because at least they knew I'd get breakfast and dinner yeah sorted you know and I did and it was great you know um, and on the weekends um, we used to just go and have like a pub lunch somewhere you know and get one meal of the day done somewhere done, <laughs> done. Um, I think it's called Bar Billabong on oh, where is Wellfield Road? Yes. On the corner okay. of I think it's called the Pear Tree now. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So didn't really do much cooking in the first year. And then in the second year when we yeah, you know, you moved into shared houses yeah, with yeah. mates, that's when I started cooking a little bit. And when I say cooking, you know, a couple of my housemates, um, Trisha and Rachel were just appalled at the lack of my cooking knowledge and standard and Trisha had been a shy girl a few seasons skiing mm. so she was trained on how to cook you know so you weren't the cook of the house then well the, no the you know, she taught me how to do basic stuff um, and uh, you know I talk about proper basic stuff like yeah. you know scrambled eggs you know <laughs> uh, stir fry but even that stir fry <laughs> so appalling was my knife skills I ended up used to uh, used to buy like pre-prepped veg, pre-sliced veg, Uncle Ben's pizza <laughs> sour sauce, um, and like ready noodles. It was just it was proper basic. I just I remember once I remember once trying to impress this girl by cooking for them. Yeah, yeah? and I I decided to make uh, sweet and sour chicken, and of course it was Uncle Ben's special, and uh, but. I was going to serve it with rice. I had no idea how much rice to cook. So I just cooked an entire packet of rice. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of thinking... like rice? Well, <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the stupid part. I ended up just serving half each. I didn't like proportion <laughs> it. So I had this 500 gram uh, packet of rice cooked up and I just served it as each half. So this mound of rice. Um, so it's needless to say, yeah, I was, I was late to the party. And I think it was probably towards the end of my university life, sort of, because I did uh, dentistry uh, and I did a preliminary year, so I was at uni for, for six years. Um, yeah, it was that probably the time sort of Jamie Oliver came onto the scene, the Naked Chef sort yeah. of started. So probably that sort of era is when I started, and that, that would have been in perhaps my my fourth or fifth year of university mm. and then it was post-university it started to become more serious so yeah 
a bit of disposable income, mm. the rise of more cooking shows like Saturday Kitchen, um, that I used to just binge watch, um, yeah. and eating out in nice places, and then sort of just getting this interest to, to try and emulate what I either eaten out or watched on the television. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of grew, grew f uh, f from there really t to a point um, that I, you know I, I started writing a, f a food blog about it, mm. and that only stoked the interest even even more. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, who were your influences then when you started? So you mentioned Jamie Oliver and things like. Was it was it was it that seeing it on TV and just thinking? Yeah, I, I think it was TV. I mean, I. <laughs> For, for any kids of the 80s, you know, who are latchkey child, you know, I watched a load of TV growing up, mm. you know. Um, so TV's always been a huge part, yeah. you know. Even now, I won't be interested in any, a show, but if a TV's on, I'll sort of yeah, <laughs> end up finding myself it. gravitating towards <laughs> yeah. it. I won't be interested in it. Um, <laughs> but especially when it was something like cooking, I, I, I thought it was, I don't know, uh, there was something, uh, you know, cool as such a, you know, uncool word to say but when you saw people like Jamie Oliver doing it and you could relate yeah you're like oh okay fine I, I might try this and then Jamie Oliver was as well he was when you consider that you had um before Jamie Oliver really you didn't have a great deal of cool as you say yeah. you know chefs you had you know Delia Smith yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not here. I'm not. I haven't come down here to knock Delia Smith. You know, she's. <laughs> but she's hardly someone that you're going to look at in as a university student. Yeah. And think, oh yeah, I'd love to be like her. You know, I, I've, you know, I've watched a Delia Smith episode where she she taught people how to cook toast the correct yeah. way. It's like, how has that gone on TV? How is? But, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I was massively interested. I mean, I think. Used to watch a little bit of Ready Steady Cook. Yep, well, Ready uh, Steady Cook. Was I mean, that was a university standard. thing, you know. Just Ready Steady uh, Cook was brilliant. Yeah. Have so you seen the the reboot version? No, I haven't, because I'm not at home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I've got shit to do now. <laughs> yeah, you know? can't watch Ready Steady Cook anymore. <laughs> yeah, but Ready Steady Cook back in the day, are you? Very much like Deal. I, I, I had. I was a student then. Yeah. You know, I, I could have time to 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 watch it and. Yeah, seeing like characters like Ainsley Harriet um, uh, on the show, and, and just I don't know, just it was entertainment. It became entertainment, you know. Yeah. Food became entertainment. Um, but the kind of stuff like Jamie used to do was really straightforward stuff. It's stuff you could do. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether it was uh, a bloke thing or mm. whatnot, but it certainly felt more accessible the way he presented it oh, you he know compared he to perhaps if you say you know, the predecessors to like Saturday Kitchen like the Anthony Warhol Thompson's and the, yeah. Rick Stein, uh, is Rick Stein. Like, I, I like Rick Stein now but I, I, I think every I think he's come to develop his style in a different way yeah. as he's gone on um, or perhaps I'm appreciating it more differently now yeah uh, than I did back then all i knew is the way jamie presented it was was accessible yeah. you know um and like i said it, it just and i found food i found i'm sure lot, lots of people relate to this i found solace in food you know I, I became very quite stressed with with work um and that's you know, how the food blog came about uh, and it was like a lovely uh, distraction. Mm. And the more I wrote about food, um, so started doing recipes online, then I started doing reviews. Um, and then I got to know the people behind a lot of the, the independent food scene in Cardiff. Mm. And that really spurred my interest on because a lot of these people, or not a lot, but some of these people were not necessarily from a food background, they just followed their passion. Yeah. Um, and then I think it all just kind of came came to a sort of head, and I decided to apply for for MasterChef without any expectation, but knowing that I want to do something in food at some point, yeah. and this would be a really cool thing to do. Plus, I was I was a fan of the show. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, it's, did, it, with did any 
you say about, you know, obviously applying for MasterChef, was it, did anything other, did people spur you to do that as well? Were you encouraged to do that? Or was it something that you just needed to do for yourself and you? Yeah, I, I, I think we, um, we had a gr group, a circle of friends, and we always used to cook for each other mm. around each other's houses. Uh, a dinner party, if you will. Mm. Um, and, um, and the level each dinner party was going up and up and up, you know? Everyone was just taking it up a notch. And, and I, th I think, it's, again, that just helped increase the passion in it. And, and the MasterChef thing, I think it was just for me personally. I think other people had said it to me, mates and whatnot, that you, you should try for MasterChef, you should try. Um, but like I said, when it reached a sort of head in terms of, look, I, I want to do something food, you know, whether I want to do uh, some sort of food event or pop-up or whatever, I, I think I just want to test myself. Yeah. Plus, I'd love to take part in, in a show that, that I'm a fan of, and, and it would be a good platform. You yeah. know, because um, there's lots of people doing food, so I thought it would be a really good base to build from. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's argue well, it's definitely surely it's the biggest cooking competition that there is. You can't. Yeah, I, I mean, I, for that style, yeah, I, I'd say Bake Off arguably is bigger now. Yes. I'd say Bake Off is bigger because it catches a wider audience. It's, it's the, this the demographic as well. It yeah, is. it catches a much bigger demographic than MasterChef. Yeah. Um, my nan will watch Bake Off, but I'm not sure if my nan watches MasterChef. Yeah. Um, but the MasterChef franchise worldwide, That's in gigantic. terms of MasterChef Australia, America, it's huge. So it, it carries with it a certain amount of, of uh, recognition, you know. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, part of the motivating factor of do, doing a, a show like that. Yeah, it's when you. What's the process? So when you applied, when did you hear back from them? Like, oh gosh, ages. I I. I actually t uh, spoke to Larkin, hmm. uh, um, who was a finalist a couple of years before I applied, hmm. and at that time he had a place in uh, Celtic Manor. Hmm. And I asked him about it, mm. you know, and he was really nice to chat about it yeah. and, and whatnot. So he, he, and he just said, just put the application form in. So, so, I, so, I, so I did. And you just do an online sort of application form. You write about, a bit about yourself. You upload a photo, interest, that kind of thing. And then you get like a phone interview. Mm. And the phone interview comes fairly soonish if, they, you know, if they're interested. So then you maybe have like a... 15 minute phone interview again asking you very similar questions mm. and then I just didn't hear anything for like a month or two and I thought oh well that's that that's yeah. it yeah and then we're in Roth Park and I got a phone call from like a, a London number and it, and it was um, it was the the production company who, who do MasterChef and it was one of the producers saying you've got a spot on the show and it was bonkers absolutely bonkers see i've know? always assumed with things like that that it would be a case that i was fully expecting you then to say oh you know we'd like you to come down and do a test filming or something like that but um they yeah they from that phone call yeah it was on the proviso of a test filming actually yeah. um so you get that phone call and then you do the test filming there's so many things to consider with MasterChef, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's almost because the thing is, I'm assuming when you apply to be on that, what they're looking for is not just someone who, who you know, is is good with food, but yeah. also you know, you have to have you have to be good on camera. If you clam up when a camera comes on, you're no good to MasterChef. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, that's why they do the test filming. Yeah. Um, and that was in Bristol, mm. and they ask you to bring along uh, a dish you prepared at home. Mm. Um, so it's like in a hotel in Bristol. And um, you don't actually have to cook, but you have to place it up in front of no, the producers okay. with a camera there. And they're asking you questions at the same time. And I guess you're right. It, it's just make sure you don't freeze up. Yeah. And if you're going to freeze up in front of just two people in a camera, then it's going to be very different yeah. in the MasterChef sort of um, environment. Um, but nothing like that. Not, not, nothing can prepare you for what happens when you step in that kitchen. You know, you could do as much prep as you like. I do really think people who do well in cooking competitions, it's 
It's how well they deal with pressure in general. Yeah. Not necessarily just cooking. It's how they deal with pressure situations in general, mm. you know, uh, determines how well they'll progress through through the episodes, you yeah. know. Um, What's it, when the first time that you walked in then, into that kitchen, you know, this is... It's the first thing, they get you to do that walk. You know the walk they do at the yeah. starter shows? Yeah. So you do that walk about, like, three or four times in different spots, and you're like, oh, shit, I'm doing the walk, <laughs> I'm doing the MasterChef walk. And then they're like... Imran, why are you walking slow motion? We'll add the slow motion in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, cool, I got you. <laughs> you don't have to do the slow motion walk. We'll make it slow motion. Sauntering <laughs> in. Imran, keep up. Keep up. On this week's show. <laughs> you don't have to do the voiceover either. We'll do the voiceover. Oh. Um, but you do the walk. And then they take you into the green room and there's MasterChef logos everywhere. And you're like, oh, my God. And you'll see the place where when people leave the kitchen and they do their bit to camera, you're like, oh, that's where they sit and they look really stressed out. Oh, <laughs> and then you go into the green room, which you recognize from the show as well, because that's where they come in and sit down on the seat and they do a little interview. And basically, you don't actually see the MasterChef kitchen until they're filming. So yeah. you're in the green room. They go through all health and safety. All your ingredients are there. Um, already in the kitchen they just talk you how it's going mm. to run but when you see people walk into the master of kitchen whether it be professionals or whether it be uh regular folk it's the first time they've walked into the kitchen so that's why we all have that kind of rabbit in the headlights sort of like shock and awe about it and that's also the first time you see um john and greg yeah and you, and it's, it's all the cameras the sound guys and you, they've told you which station you're going to, but it, it cameras are rolling. Yeah. You know? I suppose it's a nice way of capturing that authentic first yeah. look as well. That, yeah. That authentic, like, you must be so self-conscious of not <laughs> being... Yeah, just walking Massively. in for the first time and there's Greg and John stood there and this yeah. is the MasterChef kitchen yeah, and yeah. you've got to try and not walk in and go, oh, shit. I know. I, from, from what I remember, uh, John was looking sombre and Greg just had this big grin on his face. Um, <laughs> and you go and ours, they, we were supposed to do our signature dish. So, this, mm. so uh, it's a dish you will have told them about. Mm. They will have sourced the ingredients and, th and you will have prepared to make this dish. Um, not uncommon to what they do you know, in other shows. You, you will submit your recipe beforehand yeah. unless, unless like they did with us. They don't do that, mm -hmm. and they spring like a challenge. And ours was like a, a market challenge. So essentially, they had set up like a little mm. ad hoc market, and we had like 10 minutes to pick our ingredients and cook a dish uh, in an hour or whatever. Um, but we didn't know that was happening. That's, that must be... Yeah, I oh. mean, I've, I've already developed slight anxiety just from hearing it. And oh, this is... mate, mate, it was proper, proper stress. You're in there... And I'm like, shit, I've prepared to cook salmon. Right, okay. Um, and oh, it's, it's just wild, you know. Uh, and it is tricky as well, you, you, you know. And you can see why people stumble at that hurdle. Yeah. You've got this anxiety anyway of doing yeah. this, uh, this well-known TV show. And all your mates are going to watch. All your family's going to watch. People who don't like you are going to watch, yeah. you, 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 you know, um, and yeah, so that all adds into it. And like I said, it's those people who can put that to one side yeah. and not think about that at all. I think do very well in shows in general. You know? It must be so difficult. You know, I would be because how. Um, so how long after, you know, you wrapped on filming, was it aired? You film kind of September till December, January. -ish. It's a long filming process as well. Yeah, I mean, it depends how far you progress in the yeah uh, in the, in the series. Um, Sorry, you did well. You fine. <laughs> yeah, it depends how uh, how well you progress in the series. But I filmed on my birthday. Um, I filmed on my birthday, and that was wild because I was in London and no family. Yeah. And, I like a mega stress day um, and it, it is 
you do kind of form bonds with people in the show. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the people who had reached my point were London-based anyway, so they're mm. their own homes to go to. Um, for everyone who wasn't uh, living in London, um, they had put up a, like a hotel mm. um, uh, uh, to go to, just like a travel lodge or something. But it was... Yeah, it was a it was an intense experience, and that's even before they've judged your food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's intense already. Yeah, the anxiety must be huge, yeah. and then yeah, on top of all that, oh yeah, we've actually got to judge you now. Um, talking of uh, judges, then, yeah. so with with Greg and John, yeah, how how ha- are they just purely you know on camera kind of you know personalities, or are they? off camera as well are they do they integrate do they relax you in the early stage of the competition because it's all being filmed yeah all the time yeah. they're kind of if you want to put it in character mm. if you like but there's a lot of there's a lot of bravado there they're both quite alpha mm. um and uh and then greg is just like the uncle who makes really just bad jokes yeah. uh, and it's just just a bit embarrassing <laughs> um uh but he is the one that would uh would come and chat and you know do do the the more chatty sort of bits and john would do the more technical food stuff um what you don't necessarily always, always see on camera is that they're generally tasting the food as you go along. Okay. So people often say, well, the food's 100% going to be cold by the time they eat it. And you're like, that's why they're tasting as they, they go along. Yeah. So they can see what it's like in, in, in real time and see how you're working. But it is quite intense because not only do you have these guys loitering about um, or prowling about, I should say, um, you've got the camera guys there, generally two different... Every time you open a bloody oven, somebody's there, yeah. you know. <laughs> you've got someone taking still photos. You've got the sound guy. It, 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 so, you know, when you're slicing, there's somebody there catching that shot so, you know, they can clip that down for yeah. for TV, for a B-roll or something. And it's very intense. In terms of their dynamic, yeah... It, it's odd in the early days. They they don't like to integrate as much in the first, especially in the preliminary rounds. I think as you progress, I think they soften. Yeah. Um, but I think in the early rounds, they like to, to, to keep it at slightly distance. Um, yeah. I suppose they also have to, it's an element of they don't know how long these, you know, you're all going to be on this show yeah. for. So. I, I mean, I think I found John probably the most standoffish. Mm. I don't know why, you know... Yeah, he was probably, of the two, he was the most standoffish. Um, and Greg, Greg, like I said, he, he, he was like, you know, like a dodgy uncle. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but for me, during the show, off camera, he was quite encouraging to me personally. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a common Imran or, or, you know, and just try and help well i didn't really get that from uh john uh at all so it it, it was odd you, you, you know i know people got like perceptions about both of these characters and um like i said i i think i think yeah for, for me Greg was probably the, the slightly more supportive uh, than John. I think they, I think during the show, they're, they're very, um, they've done it for so long. Yeah. They know what they're doing, but they also know it's an entertainment show. Yeah. So they know necessarily how to to get a rise out of people or or uh, whatnot. Whereas you, the participant. This isn't an entertainment show for you. No. This is this is what you want to do. This is your passion. Yeah. You you know. Um, when you're filming it, when you because it is an interesting thing with Master Chef yeah. in that you've got like you say it's a passion yeah. for for the contestants. Um, yeah. But are you when you're it it it's such a bizarre concept that you're doing this you're doing this because you you want to do it yeah. so much. 
but also you have to be aware right in my head anyway I would be very aware that oh well where's the camera the camera's to my left yeah and so, um, I'd be I think I'd be so concerned with what angles they were getting of me that yeah. I just that would be it I'd just destroy the the rice or whatever <laughs> I was doing there, there, there was a lot of that there was a lot of that uh, second guessing thinking and mate honestly the, the when it comes to actually taking your food up as well that is a whole minefield <laughs> as well because Again, if you do, if you're in the competition for a while, you'll have to do that a few times. Yeah, and that's nerve-wracking because you take your plate of food up. All the other contestants are sort of at the back of the kitchen. You walk up to these two, and if you've had a good day, great, you feel amazing. Yeah. If there's criticism, uh, criticism, oh, it is quite intense. Mm. Then you know, because for the edit, that for what you see on television is a lot shorter than it actually is yeah. so that critique could go on for maybe like three minutes which feels yeah. like 30 minutes God, yeah. but on, sh on the show you, you get maybe 30 seconds 45 seconds you know maybe a minute there. just nodding your head just oh thank thank you thank yeah. you still right inside i i i don't think i'd be able to do it well they cut bit out of the show i remember when i had one of my best um uh best feedback from uh, from the judges uh, Greg gave me a handshake uh, sort of thing and they cut it out of the final edit and I, I, I and I remember messaging they're like oh yeah I, I can't really start doing handshakes because that's kind of like a poor Hollywood thing oh. <laughs> so can't really start doing the old handshakes you know um, see he should have gone for the Greg hug that's yeah. what he should have <laughs> I, 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 if I'm honest I think the show could do with a real good rejig yeah, it, well, it hasn't really changed, has it? No, I, I think it could do with different judges quite easily. I think those guys have done like 14 years. That's a long time. Maybe 15 years, 15 series, you know. Plus, you know, Greg does the professionals as well yeah. uh, in between. And they both do the celebrity one as well. So yeah. the, their yearly calendar for MasterChef is, is full on, you know. It's just, so it's just non-stop, isn't but, it? It definitely could do with, I think, a injection of new judges on the show. Yeah. Um, to bring a little, a different audience to it. But also, I think that with the critics as well, they have some made some changes, bringing different types of critics to try the food. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I can't really watch the show anymore now. Mm. There's kind of like this post-traumatic. MasterChef <laughs> syndrome that you know you're full of what ifs and oh if I did this differently you know um, which is no way to be but even yeah I've not been able to watch the show much since since I, I did my bit I watch the professionals because mm. that's a different kettle of fish yeah um, but the regular show no I, I, I've kind of um, I suppose you're too close to it though you know, yeah, it, it's a, it's a bit like you've seen behind the, the you know the, the, the curtain, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, you've seen behind it now, and it's you know you you're going to be one of those people who are like they probably did about four minutes there, but it's I yeah. know <laughs> of savaging this guy, <laughs> this poor individual. Um, but I'm glad I did it because because for a couple of reasons. One, I never really used to cook food for my background. Mm -hmm before the show yeah. so I come from a Gujarati background and my home food my mum's my food my grand's food my family food is Gujarati mm. uh, food and I never really cooked that food before the show and it's only because of the show I started to do it because I think one of the, the challenges was to do uh, a, I can't remember what the exact challenge was but I decided to do a tali you mm. know and it's from there that my interest and kind of I found my calling kind of was yeah. like I spent all this tri time trying to be something that I'm not in terms of this fine dining sort of modern European whatever that means style of of cooking and all along my superpower was the food that I've been brought up with but done in in my own way you know yeah and I didn't realise that until I did the show. So, although I have this post-traumatic MasterChef sort of thing going on, it's because of the show I'm a better cook now. 
and I don't think I would have been unless I would have done Best for interest the, the show. Especially because it, it, it's interesting in that it's not just taught, you know, you feel like, you know, you become a better, a, a better cook for that, but yeah. also because it's, I love the fact that it's, it almost feels, from what you're saying, as if it opened up a door to your, your history and your, you know, your heritage. Yeah that you were unaware that needed opening a bit more. Well, it was always there. It was always there. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I didn't take a massive interest in it. Yeah. Um, because my mum was there and mum used to do all the cooking and when I went home to Bristol, it was all about having mum's food yeah. or whatnot, you know. So I never felt like to take that on because I'm like well I can't be better than mum you know no. um, but like I said the show sort of went and gave me the opportunity to look back at that and you know and learn some of those family recipes and a lot of the food I've done since then certainly my first sub club was the Talia presented on the show mm. from the basis of my first sub clubs that I did post the show mm. and a lot of my food since has been influenced by um, the Gujarati, my Gujarati heritage. Um, so yeah, like I said, those really good outcomes from the show. It gave me a great platform to, to, to do the subclubs from, to do really cool things, you know, cook at Abgaveni Food Festival. Man, I've, I've cooked in Borough Market, which is like a mecca for, yeah. for, for, for food in London. And that was like a huge highlight. And so it's enabled me to do lots of cool things and given me a, an amazing platform as well to grow my interest in, in food. So I'm, I'm, although the, there are ups and downs, but like that, that's with everything, I, I'm, I, I would probably do the show again. Um, but I'd probably apply for Bake Off first. <laughs> I'd probably apply for Bake Off first. Bake Off with it. Bake Off is just, these shows are just, you know, there's, it's almost reality TV in general is sort of looked, I find, looked down upon almost. But these things, the way you talk about it, you know, it's, it's almost, when you're on them, yeah. especially with Bake Off, like Bake Off has opened doors where, where my 15 year old daughter will regularly, I'll, I'll, I'll come home and she'll have made the carrot cake. Yeah, nice. That wouldn't have happened without Bake Off. Yeah. Her love of Bake Off is just like, you know, so I, I mean, I've, fully endorse it fully endorse her making cakes that I can then eat on a regular basis you know I mean like I said whether it be a, a singing show a cooking show a, whatever reality shows yes it is a reality show yes there may be competition based but for many of the contestants this means the world to them yeah. it really means the world to them uh, and they just want to see how far their passion can go and whether they can make their passion their, their living, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, it's, the, it's the dream, isn't it? It's this yeah. what everyone wants. Um, you, were talk, you mentioned your clubs as well and, and things. And one thing that I, I, while doing, you know, a little bit of research before we came into this, I, I found that you donated and, and raised money for the homeless uh, community, as it were, or charities yeah. in, in Cardiff, which is something very close to my heart as well, because of live shows that we've done previously and things. Um, that was, is, was that something that, you know, you, you were just passionate about? Did it, did it appear? How did that, you know? I think it was a combination of things. One, pre-COVID, you only yeah. needed to walk in through Cardiff City to see that there's a huge problem. Massive. It's, it's um, gigantic. And only growing. Yeah. And it was only growing. Um, you know, I've, I've lived in Cardiff since 2000. Um, uh, and it's something I've slowly noticed, probably unconsciously, or no, subconsciously rather, subconsciously noticed growing over time to a point where I'm consciously noticing it now. Yeah. You know, you consciously notice it. And um, it, it, yeah, it, 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 it's something that I, I think should and could easily be addressed, mm. you know. Um, and I had such amazing support from the people of Cardiff when I was on the show. Honestly, I, I was overwhelmed with the amount of support I got 
We love watching one of our own. If you're <laughs> yeah, from Cardiff, that's it. You've got the whole backing oh, of the entire I, city. I, I remember trending uh, on Twitter, like Imran Masterchef. I'm like, oh my God, I'm trending in Cardiff. This is amazing. Um, so when I got the opportunity to do the supper clubs afterwards, I, I wanted to do I wanted to do a little bit of giving back a little bit because yeah. I, I feel very fortunate in the position I'm, I'm in. So the first one weekend, so two two nights of sub clubs, all profits yeah. went to um, to uh, the homeless charity community yeah. in uh, in Cardiff. Uh, so the Huggard Centre, mm. Wallach, uh, and and the others. Um, uh, and ever since then, ever since those first two, um, where I gave full profits, I, I gave ten percent of the profits from then on in. To, uh, to to charities mm. um, go, going forward because I I want to I want to set an example I want people to take note um, yeah. I, 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 and I want to yeah, address the issue in, in the small way that I I can you know and um, well this is how things change is if it, yeah. if everyone did a little yeah we, just no a one bit. would need to do a huge thing if every if we all did a little yeah that'd be fine yeah problem sorted it is. It's something. It, it, when I heard about it, I was like, "Oh, right, I've made, I've made the correct choice with guest here." So <laughs> with with the you know, we, I've done live shows myself. With the money went yeah. to the Wallach. I'm very, I've got very close ties with the Wallach and, yeah. and Haggard. They are wonderful people doing wonderful things. And it, as you say, it, it is a problem which is just it doesn't seem to be getting better. You know, it's yeah, it, it, it really is, yeah. It's, 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 I wanted to do something, and that for me was the one that stuck out the most to yeah. me, uh, you know. Not, and the fact that my children notice it as well. Yeah. And when your children ask you those questions, why is that man or why is that lady there? Yeah. And you as a grown-up know yeah. why... It's hard, you know. It's hard. It's, hard. it's you know? really hard. It's, I think I, I was talking about it recently, but in it, what I find, especially with children, is that they look at things in such a pure yeah. and simple way. You know, we should listen to to, to young children yeah. more because they they're not they look at it so simplistic and they just see it as it is. Yeah. In that, so we. Um, I was talking about it with, it with my grandmother actually, and we were saying, you know, and talking about, oh, you know, I what. And my, my grandmother said, I wonder why. I was like, it doesn't matter why, because my, my youngest daughter said, but she was like, why is that, why is that, that man sleeping, sleeping in a tent? Yeah. And all they see is a human being yeah. that is sleeping in a street. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no why to that. It's just like, well, that just needs to stop. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's such a, they see things so beautifully. We, we don't listen to children enough. You know, they should... And, and it, the, the homelessness... Uh, uh, crisis also feeds into the, the, the food waste crisis. Yeah. Because a lot of food is wasted needlessly mm. that could easily, easily be used or redistributed to help feed people who cannot feed themselves. Yeah. Um, and this is not only stuff we can do in the house or home, it's stuff you know, bigger organisations should be doing a lot more about. Yeah. Um, yes, there is a there is that if everyone does a little bit, it, it yeah. will reduce. But I also do think that the, the biggest culprits could do more. Yes, Th definitely. They could definitely do more. If um, well, if if some of the you know bigger if some of the big supermarket chains yeah. throw at any point throw out food, they yeah. haven't done enough. I, I totally agree, and there has been changes, and some of the bigger ones are doing different things. But I still think more could be done. I still think yeah. there's, I think um, you just have to go down like um, uh, like the reduced food aisle, or yeah. uh, uh, if that food is not sold on the reduced food aisle, that gets binned. Yeah, you, you know, and sometimes you walk down the bread aisle and there's loads there's loaves and loaves and loaves of bread you yeah. know and you know no one's saying give give people gone off food but it, there is a way of either storing that food 
um, making them up into something that you then could feed someone that evening, yeah. the, the next morning. Um, I think there are definite ways. But in terms of what we could all do at home, we could definitely address how much food we actually need, uh, plan perhaps a, a, a little bit better, and, and think about the waste we're, we're, we're generating with food, you know, um, and how better to store it so it lasts longer. So I think, I think there is... I think there's a real connection that could be made between, you know, the have-nots and the people who have a lot. Yeah. We, we could do something to reduce that, that, that distance, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a, especially the year that we've all just had, you yeah. know, it's, we sat, you know, we, you and I are both sat here, we were both impacted by it, as everyone in the world, yeah. but we, we both had, you know, a roof over our heads. Yeah. And, you know, we had to, that was all we had to worry about like, oh I'm gonna be on my own it's just like well you know not being out in the street impacts the people who rely on a footfall almost you know yeah. it's these people who who rely on spare change and things like that it's just if no one's there if no one's in the city centers what what's happening what, what you know it, it is and, and 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 for me I, I was I, I much give to people who know what they're doing like the Huggard yeah center and, and, and the Wallach and the others and that's my way of trying to do something about it yes you know so yeah yeah no it's a bit i think that is a nice nice part to uh to say thank you very much oh no you're very welcome very, very welcome this has been like i said lovely to sit out here soak up the sun i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that i don't think i will record an episode of a podcast in a in a more picturesque setting, <laughs> I think. I think a, se- a sunny. It's still Saturday gorgeous. What morning. time is it now? It's about you know, twenty to ten on a weekend morning, Saturday morning, and it's just bliss. The sun is just you know glistening off the water. Ah, it's just absolutely you know. Panath is definitely woken up now. There's a lot more people about now. Yeah. As a as a boat comes past the pier, just over there, someone going out for a day trip. I know, and like I said, thank you very much, Luke, for having me Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. This podcast is a Bendy Geddig Media production.